0: Hello and welcome to Hamdom Thoughts, a podcast about ham radio, electronics, software, and tinkering. I'm your host, Dennis, FCC-licensed amateur extra radio operator, callsign AD6DM. In today's episode, episode 8, we talk with the famous self-made engineering genius, Adam, K6ARK. Adam is well known for his innovative creations, search and rescue work, and many summits on the on the air activations. Let's get to know the ham behind this mad sciencing. Stay tuned. great to have you on the podcast today
1: awesome well thanks for having me here i'm really excited i've been really enjoying the podcast so far
0: well thanks yeah it's it's been fun it's been a long day for me
1: today yeah it's been a long week here for me work's been uh, work's been busy yeah
0: so uh tell us about yourself i mean what's your story
1: all right. Well, I grew up in Southern California. Uh, since I was a kid, I've always had the knack. If you guys are familiar with the Dilbert comic, uh, it's, uh, well, I, I guess a good comic about uh, sort of the quirks of the engineer and, and how it's something you're, you're born with uh, and, and is just ingrained in you. And I was, I was doomed to be an engineer from the start. I moved down to San Diego to go to UCSD and earned a mechanical engineering degree. I work as a quality engineer in a large industrial facility down here, and throughout my education and uh, life as an engineer, RF and electronic circuits have always terrified and confounded me, (laughs) so uh, it was uh, somewhat of uh, an adventure getting into ham radio because of that.
0: So you have been known for... Your soda activations and lots of soda hams speak of you very fondly uh, in particular because of uh, one of your recent antenna revealings. You have an NFED half wave and also a NFED random wire that you created that actually has the transformer on the connector, which is pretty cool. You also inspire a lot of people with pixies and revisions of pixies You're constantly just finding these innovative ways of creating these antennas and and these radios. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, sounds good. Well, I I obviously love to tinker. And when I got started in HF, uh, oh, what, uh, I guess about six or seven years ago now, I, I picked up a Yaesu FT817 and ended up uh, buying an antenna from uh, LNR Precision, the NFED half-wave trail-friendly. And you know, I, I tinkered a little bit with antennas. I made my first contact uh, on, uh, you know, long-distance propagation contact ever on 10 meters, on a little dipole that I had built out of some some wire I had laying around the house, but. When I bought that 817, I wanted a nice portable antenna, and I thought there is no way I can build anything as cool as this little LNR trail-friendly antenna. So I spent the money on it, and uh, used that for many years. Fast forward five, six years, I've built a lot of antennas and done a lot of tinkering, and I've gotten to a point where I feel like, I, you know, the the antennas I build are are just things that I can't find anywhere in the commercial world at this point. So throughout my, my building and tinkering, I've just been really interested in, in trying to make things as small and compact and light as possible. Uh, one of my earlier uh, videos that I put together for Summits on the Air was me with a, a running pack running through the, the local San Diego mountains with an FT817 in my running pack. <laughs> so you can, you can imagine how comfortable that was. Wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, so I, I continued to, to kind of push for, for smaller and smaller gear and uh, came up with those ideas for uh, placing the, the matching unit toroid, right onto the BNC connector and making uh, an NFED wave matching unit that's really about as small as it can possibly be.
0: Yeah, I remember your photo that you shared once where you were weighing it. It's, it's just some grams, right? It's, it's all together, the wire and the connector and the toroid, everything. I forget how, right. how many grams it was.
1: Yeah, probably. I think they're they're typically around sixty to seventy grams, so um, a one point five to two ounces in that range wow. for a, a, a twenty, thirty, <laughs> forty meter uh, N fed half wave antenna. And that, really, you know, the beauty with the N fed half wave is that you you don't need a feed line with it. You can just connect it straight to the radio.
0: Yeah, and so your your drive for this was really just making your your gear as light as possible for the, the trips up the mountain, right?
1: Yeah, that's certainly a big part of it. And and that that also drove me to learn Morse code. Uh, a couple of years ago, uh, I made my first Morse code contact, actually a summit to summit contact with Jeff, AA6XA. I was on a peak out near uh, Death Valley, well, in Death Valley um wild rose peak and uh, he was on a peak in in nevada kind of down near uh, the las vegas area and we were messaging each other and and he said hey i'm on my summit we should make a summit to summit contact uh so i i picked the frequency and and he came back and said oh that's a sideband frequency I didn't bring a microphone <laughs> so uh. um, so that was my uh, I flubbed his call sign plenty of times and and then finally completed the contact but uh, made that work and um, and yeah that the the point with that is that you know the the Morse code only radios are significantly smaller and much more power efficient than anything you can find for single sideband by really a I don't know, two or three times.
0: Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Because you've also shared a few photos and even some videos of your Pixies. So you, you actually put together little tiny radios that are fully capable of reaching all over the country.
1: Right. Yeah. So so I've taken the the standard Pixie transceivers, the the kits you can buy for Oh, a few dollars on on Amazon and I figured out that there's there's a significant portion of that board that's just connectors and sort of miscellaneous stuff that you don't really need for the radio to function. And I took a Dremel tool and removed about a third of the board and shaped it just right. and got those Pixie boards to where I could fit them into not an, a regular Altoids tin, but an Altoid Smalls tin, which is about a third of the size of an Altoids tin. So that got the wheels turning in my mechanical engineer's head. And I thought, well, what else can I cram in this little tin? Um, uh, w- one of the, the, the final versions I came up with was uh, a self-contained unit with the Pixie transceiver. Uh, a little wire straight key built onto the board, uh, a power supply built in, and a single earbud. I couldn't fit two, so just a single earbud just soldered earbud. directly to the board. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then the other cool thing I put in that one, I, I built the NFED wave matching unit into the, the kit, into the case so you just have a threaded terminal stud that sticks out of the box Uh, attach your 66 feet of wire for your end fed halfway 40 meter antenna and uh, and make some contacts and um actually that i'm sorry that one i had built for 20 meters and the whole kit weighed uh 1.65 ounces and i brought that up (laughs) to a a soda summit in san diego county and was able to to make a contact to Uh, My furthest contact on that activation was to K3 TCU in Pennsylvania. uh, Oh, I think over 2,000 miles away. So clear
0: across the country. Yeah. And I bet you that whole self contained rig weighed less than the actual wire winder.
1: (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. About 1.65 ounces for that whole station. So, wow. I've got, yeah, I've I've got some additional projects brewing that uh, I've kind of, Oh leaked a few photos of, but um I, I'm making a surface mount version of the Pixie that shrinks it down even smaller. And my goal with that rig is to make an entire functioning self contained uh AHF rig that, that I can actually make contacts with for a soda activation that weighs less than an ounce.
0: Wow. So like a keychain almost.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the board itself is a two sided board. And uh, currently it's about half an inch by eight tenths of an inch.
0: Oh, that's, I, I, I think I may have seen some of the photos that you, you shared in our Slack channel.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a little bit ridiculous. This is,
0: this is where you're using um, surface mount components and getting really ridiculously small. In fact, didn't you order the wrong size service mount where it was <laughs> in the groove of your fingerprint?
1: <laughs> yes. Um, so most of the most of the the capacitors and resistors on the board are are zero four zero two sized components, which are pretty small. They're they're I think kind of typically the the limit of what you want to try to to solder with hot air and paste and tweezers by hand. Um, and I accidentally purchased the 01001, uh, I'm sorry, 0102 uh, kind of resistor, and um, just because I really wanted to put that board together, I I managed to to get it into place and make it work.
0: <laughs> that is just amazing. I can't see myself <laughs> going through these like these iterations and and working with such small things. I have a hard enough time just soldering two wires together, so.
1: Yeah. uh, Those are, those are certainly days where I do not allow myself to drink coffee.
0: Oh yeah. You got to have steady hands. You have to be, I I don't know. Do you put on like those magnifying glasses that people use to be able to see what you're doing? I mean, (laughs) I'm just trying to to picture what's getting all this stuff together.
1: Yeah. I don't have a set of those, but I do have uh, a magnifying glass on a on a, a flexible stand that kind of holds it in place for me. And I, yeah. I most definitely have to use that.
0: Well, tell me about this process. I mean, are there a string of failures here or a, I, I have a video, a, a favorite video of yours that it's the one where you do the end-fed random wire and you're sitting there with very tiny things. Like you're holding the BNC connector and you're cutting it with a Dremel and your fingers literally like a millimeter away from the spinning blade and, I'm just thinking how many how many times has he done this because he he seems to be such a master at at cutting this stuff and he's getting it on video obviously so he's succeeding. <laughs> so
1: yeah, well uh that 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 is certainly somewhat the the art of video editing yeah (laughs) there there uh is is plenty of of failure and uh frustration and and even occasionally a little bit of cursing yes involved
0: (laughs) i can relate (laughs)
1: yes (laughs) i i have thrown away probably more components than uh than i've uh ended up with success at the end and you know you you don't see that in the videos but yeah, uh, I think it's really important that that people understand that that it's okay to fail like that, and you, you're not going to be successful every time, but that's how you learn.
0: Yes, I think you've told me that a few times. Failure is yeah, is just how you learn. Yep. And the beginning of that video, if I remember right, you say this is not easy. You know, I wouldn't try this as your first antenna project or something like that, right? Right. And when we actually go through the video i see i'll link it in the show notes but i it's it's really it's impressive how you get it all together and you make again video editing it all seems very easy when you watch it on a video (laughs) (laughs) right part of the reason i don't do build videos is because of the cursing i I really (laughs) (laughs) yes (laughs) there's a like sweat pouring down my my forehead and i'm i'm just like are you serious you know and then My wife sometimes comes in and says, is everything okay in here?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Yeah. The, um, uh, oh, what was I going to say about those? Um, Trying to remember. Uh, I lost my train of thought. Oh, Oh, well, it'll come back to me.
0: (laughs) So, yeah, switching gears here. uh, You seem to be on a peak all the time. I'm always getting alerts or in the slack, you're saying I'm, I'm going up, uh, for a quick soda activation. So how often do you actually activate? Because it seems like it's almost every weekend or any free time you get that I am hearing that you are going on a trip.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, soda is, is certainly one of my, uh, escapes and, and one of my uh, ways to, to de-stress and enjoy nature. So, I really do try to combine a lot of my outdoor activities with opportunities for soda activations. Uh, I I activate quite a bit less than I have in the past. Two years ago, when I uh, earned Mountain Goat, when I achieved uh, 1,000 activator points for soda, I actually activated 100 peaks in that year and earned... 100 peaks. Yeah. And, oh, I forget exactly how many, but it was over well over 600 points that year. So that, that was quite a whirlwind year since then. I I've kind of uh, redirected my energy at at different things, you know, more of these projects um, and, and trying to pursue kind of unique aspects of, of soda other than just uh, just chasing some some points, so yeah, I, some you know some examples of that are are activating with just a pixie, making smaller and smaller rigs, and also working uh, DX from summits. I really enjoy bringing out the 100 watt rig and the half square antenna, mm-hmm. and uh, staying on a summit you know into the evening or in the early morning and and trying to reach. Uh, Australia, New Zealand, or even Europe. So, my, my SOTA goals last year included trying to uh, get Summit to Summit DX. Uh, and I, I succeeded in that about mid year, making uh, Summit to Summit contact with a station in Japan. And then on New Year's Eve, I was able to make a summit-to-summit contact with John ZL1BYZ in New Zealand, which was awesome. He's uh, he's an incredible chaser that uh, that chases us all the time up here in in the U.S. has a, an amazing home station, and it was really cool to be able to pick him up on a summit with his KX2 running. I don't know, probably eight or ten watts.
0: So S to S and you were running the 891 or uh, uh 857 QRP, 857 and yeah. he was on on the other side with a KX2
1: right man
0: <laughs> wow it,
1: it was cool <laughs> i i gave him a 119 signal report i i wish i had a recording of that contact because it was it was the most incredibly difficult CW contact I've ever made. Um, and John is just such an incredibly skilled operator in sending you uh, systematically exactly what you need uh, to hear it on the peaks of the QSB uh, to be able to, to get him in the log. So it was, it was a really cool experience.
0: Man, amazing. Well, let's take a quick little break here. And, uh, you know, we'll come back and and continue talking about this. I had questions about your gear as well. Yeah, sounds good. We'll be right back. right, we're back. So Adam, I wanted to ask you about your gear because not only do you strive to go super tiny, super light, you could be a poster boy for ultralight backpacking perhaps, but I've heard of times where you went the exact opposite direction and I want to mention like a 60 amp hour battery that you brought once. and just going qro and i w- i couldn't believe the the amount of weight that you were planning to take on this trip but can you tell me more about those type of activations
1: yeah well you know with with uh with search and rescue uh I, i'm no stranger to carrying heavy loads up up mountains um that said uh in my personal adventures i do like to keep things light generally speaking but there, there are times for everything. And on uh, one particular trip up uh, a peak in eastern San Diego County, Whale Peak, it's a desert summit, a really beautiful spot. I think it's oh, probably a three-mile or so hike to the summit, and uh, it's a little bit of a rugged trail toward the end. Uh, it was during the, I think, this CQ Worldwide DX contest, and I thought, well... I want to have some fun with this, so I'm going to bring the uh, the QRO rig. I brought the eight FT857, and I actually didn't bring the 60 amp hour battery on that trip, but I bought brought the uh, Bioeno 12 amp hour and another uh, 10 amp hour battery. So, so I had like over 400 watt hours of of power.
0: <laughs> Did you bring solar with you?
1: No, I didn't bring solar because I figured I would mostly be operating it at night and early in the morning. Oh, okay. um, and then, you know, of course, overnight gear, we had to carry water in because it's a desert summit. And, uh, you know, I had to carry in a few beers for the crew. So I brought three beers, one for me, one for uh, N1 CLC and one for, uh, for Jake W6RWS and I didn't want to just use the dipole because that doesn't really have the good low takeoff angle. So I brought the half square, which means I need two poles that are 30 feet tall. So I brought Mm -hmm. two 30 foot jack kite poles. And uh, in the end, I think, uh, (laughs) I think my pack was about 62 or 63 pounds.
0: (laughs) I can't, I can't even think of that. I mean, it's, I I think I care uh, my, one of the backpacking trips I've went on I was carrying around 35, maybe 40 pounds. And, and that killed me for, for just a flat hike.
1: Yeah. <laughs> 62 yeah. pounds. Man. And you know, to, to, to give you a perspective, I went on a, a five day backpacking trip with my family recently into Northern Yosemite. Uh, those were some of my more recent activations videos coming on that one sometime soon. And Uh, it was a five day trip. So five days of food, we had to have bear canisters on Mm -hmm. that one, which adds, you know, two and a half or two and three quarter pounds. And I brought the, uh, just the KX two on that one, but my whole pack for, for the entire five days was about 25 or 26 pounds.
0: Mm. So that's very efficient. That's, that's what I'm thinking more of like super efficient backpacking. Right. 20 to 25, but Yeah. I think I was joking at the time when I was like, what is that going to be like 60 pounds? And you're like, yep.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The things we do for fun. (laughs) Yes.
0: I hope you don't mind if I play one of your videos here.
1: No, go right ahead. uh,
0: It's got your kind of theme song as well. So that's basically me asking permission to, uh, to play your theme song on my podcast. (laughs) But this one's called, world's smallest fully capable HF Go kit.
1: Hey, what's up everybody? You've seen me out operating portable a lot with a variety of kits, but I've never really shown you what's in them. So today we're gonna go through what's in my KX2 kit. Stay tuned. This is the entire station that I'm going to try activating with today. Uh, Altoids 10 Rockmite setup other stations out there, K6ARK. So here it is. This is my complete KX2 kit. The kit fits into this Kelty cash box. It's uh, about 7 inches long here.
0: So here Adam, you about are three and a half showing us deep. your very small and full station. What is your goal here with uh, a lot of these videos? Your, your YouTube channel is entitled K6ARK Portable Radio. It's got a really cool intro and uh, you've had a lot of soda videos. You've actually been, I guess, publishing videos for quite a long time, but now it's, it's going more towards gear. Uh, you started recently something called Quick Tips. Which are, I believe, thirty-second videos. But tell us a bit about your channel and what what you're doing.
1: Yeah, sounds good. So, so that particular video uh, shows off the the standard KX2 kit that I've put together that I like to take out. It's it's oh probably about a third of the size of the shack in a box kit that that uh, sends you when you buy the the kit for the KX2. Mm-hmm. Which in and-
0: itself is pretty impressive. I, I saw that at the uh, 2018 Pacific on, I was like, wow, this is a whole soda kit right here. And it had the AX1 and all that, but you, you've managed to make it even smaller.
1: Right. Yeah. I, I just like making stuff fit into, uh, as small of a pack as possible so I can easily take it wherever I want to go. And that, that's really one of my big, big drivers there for, for constantly downsizing the gear. And I, I started doing these, these gear presentation videos because People ask about it, you know. I, I've uh, uh, they they see what I'm carrying and using in the videos, but I I don't really give a lot of details or show you how to build them or or where to to get all the stuff to put together. So so that's kind of where I started going down the road of all right. Well, uh, for with the the antennas, for example, I I don't have the time uh, or availability to, to build those and, and sell them. So the next best, best thing is to show people how to make them. Yeah. And yeah, they're tricky, but people do it. And, and, you know, just the, the emails I get from people showing me pictures of the antennas they built are, are, are so cool. So, so that's a big focus of the channel is, is sharing what I've learned and helping others learn the same things. I just, I just love teaching and and sharing and then the other piece is just I really enjoy making fun entertaining videos and and one of the things that I want to grow in in my skills is just the the whole video production and and editing aspect of it the art of all of that
0: yeah it's uh they're really good I I am always I have you on notification so something new pops up I'm like oh this is gonna be cool and uh quickly go watch them
1: excellent well yeah the so a, a note on the the quick tips videos uh i i started uh recently well uh i recently became in, involved with the the youtubers bunch the the ham radio group of of youtubers kind yeah. of great group. i guess you could say yeah i guess you could say organized by by jason kc5 hwb and you know, in in doing that, I thought, all right, I, I should get a little more organized with, with what I'm creating here. I don't have any particular goals with my channel. I don't plan to try to make any money off of it. I'm, I don't plan to monetize it just because it's just, I guess, a personal choice. But I... I started making a list of, of topics and, and, and things I wanted to cover. And, and one of those sub lists involved just little kind of tips and tricks that I've learned that I see when I watch my videos, but I know people watching the videos aren't necessarily going to notice them. So, so I've, I've started making a list of, of things that I think I can present in 30 seconds or less and just teach you a really cool little tip about either portable operating or, uh, for, for antenna building or other portable radio or summits on the air related topics. So there's going to be a bunch of those to come and I I'm, I'm pretty excited about them.
0: Yeah. Really cool. I just watched your one today where you do the horns and you right. Wire wind on while you're doing the horns. Uh, What did you call that one again? I I can't remember the the title,
1: the goat, yeah, the goat wind. Goat uh, wind, yes, that's right. Yeah, and I, <laughs> I call it that because I learned that trick through uh, watching a, a video from Steve, WG0AT, who uh, I, I should give a shout out to because he's really one of the driving reasons that I ever started making videos on uh, my soda adventures. I, mm-hmm. I really enjoyed his stuff, and he he gave me a, a ton of motivation and psych for just getting getting going and having fun in, in summits on the air so yeah um he's he's kind of a, a legend to me and uh, really a, a celebrity i yes. i remember <laughs> i i had never made a contact with him uh until uh, coincidentally on my mountain goat activation and he was, uh, it was a summit to summit contact and, and I heard him, you know, I saw the spot from him and I said, Oh, I'm going to go try to chase the goat. So I tuned up on him and I was so nervous. I was shaking cause I was going to make a contact <laughs> with the legend. It was, it was yeah. really cool. He,
0: I, I mean, I've, I've been trying for him. I, I get the alerts for him and I haven't heard him yet, but I would love to. Yeah. A lot of people are starstruck by, uh, <laughs> yeah, Steve, <laughs> I got to say, though, your your channel is very well done. Uh, your editing is great. And I like the quality of your, your video as well. And I was hoping you could kind of geek out with me because it's a common thread among hams I'm finding is hams are into photography. They're into, you know, just gear in general, even if it doesn't necessarily apply to ham radio. But maybe you could talk a little bit about your your videos, your video process, your gear that you use there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I, I shoot a lot of my uh, my, my current equipment includes uh, a GoPro uh, Hero Black. What is it? A Hero Black, Hero Seven Black. So it's it was the the first edition where they they put that latest image stabilization in it. Yes. That is is just amazing and. I use that camera for all of the hiking footage. I uh, use it for some of the wide angle, uh, time-lapse, uh, videos, and it, it, it does an incredible job. So I, I can't recommend those, uh, enough. I've started including, uh, mirrorless and, or, uh, well, yeah, either a, Canon uh, smaller mirrorless camera, uh, the EFM series. It's a Canon M six, uh, or the Canon RP, a full frame mirrorless camera. Uh, I've got a, a bunch of Canon lenses from you know previous uh, photography uh, exploits that I tinkered with in the past. You know along that that line of of. Uh, Ham operators liking to be uh, photographers as well, and 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 really enjoying gear, uh, maybe an engineer thing too. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I relatively recently picked up those those camera bodies and started using those for the video, and I've been really pleased with the results. It's it's nice to be able to to control that depth of field, oh yeah, to shoot in lower light, and uh, and just really get some of those more artistic shots.
0: Yeah, you can kind of tell you know, when, when you have the shallow depth of field, you know that we're working with something here that's that's uh, much more than your just typical point and shoot. I could right. see them in, in your videos.
1: Yeah, and then as, as far as, you know, producing and, and planning videos goes, I've, I've, I've tried to, to do a little more planning ahead and uh, rather than just shooting video and, and seeing what I can put together after the fact, it's it's certainly more of a challenge uh especially balancing that with with actual operating time <laughs> but uh but the results are are pretty cool i, I think a couple good examples are uh the the latest sierra trip videos um there's the uh oh, oh i can't remember the name soda at 13,000 feet or something like that uh that one has some some fun fly fishing in it as well, uh, and and I, I worked hard to really kind of uh, tell a little more of a story rather than just uh, shooting video clips and sequentially putting them together.
0: Yeah, it's my favorite kind, where there's a narrative in the video.
1: Yeah, and they're 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 really fun to make.
0: Yeah. So Kevin W six R I P mentioned that when he goes out to the Southern Sierra. A lot of the peaks that are difficult are often untouched. um, If you look on a map, you've, you've gone on a lot of them. (laughs) So I was wondering, which peaks do you frequent? Which regions do you frequent? Because it seems like you have a mix between the desert and the southern Sierra. Or is it just all over California? And you just you just go to different places all the time?
1: Yeah, so there, there's certainly a mix. I, I do a lot of the Southern California peaks, which include some some desert and uh, Transverse Range peaks but my, my favorite mountain range to, to go play in is the, is the Eastern Sierra. Um, generally from, Oh, like Levining or, or Bridgeport South is, is where I've spent a lot of time and I've been backpacking up there since, Oh, since I was probably 12 years old. So I, I know the area well, um, and I just love going up there. So, Uh, So yeah, there there are quite a few of those Southern Sierra summits that that I have activated. There are still plenty of them that no one has activated. So
0: how many would you say you have activated first?
1: Um, That's a good question. I I would, if I had to guess, I would probably say 15 to 20. Yeah. Somewhere in that range. So you just kind
0: of figure out, okay, how am I getting to... Getting up this, because there's really no established trail or anything like that, right? You're just yeah,
1: it, it certainly depends on the peak. Um, so topographic maps help a lot. Uh, there's also a a fantastic book for Sierra adventures called Peaks, Passes, and Trails. It's by a guy named R.J. Secor, S.E.C.O.R. And it's a it's an excellent reference that that doesn't give you a ton of detail, but it, it gives you, uh, you know, some basic information to, to help point you in the right direction on on which ridge or or Kuar or, uh, you know, route up a, a summit is is the easiest way to go.
0: Really cool. You have to send me that link, and I'll include it as well,
1: or the title. Oh, sounds good. And I'll
0: I'll put that in the show notes as well. Sure. So I wanted to also ask you about your search and rescue work because W6RIP in our talk mentioned that you're also a search and rescue volunteer. And right. So I wanted to ask you about your experiences in that, and maybe even some of the stories that of of deployments that you've had.
1: Sure, yeah, so I've been part of the San Diego Mountain Rescue team for uh well since two thousand and five so uh, about fifteen years now, and uh, the the team has really become my my second family the The relationships I've built and friends that I've met on that team are are second to none they're just amazing people, and that Team, Search and Rescue, is really why I got into ham radio uh, about oh. four years after joining the team. Interesting. Uh, there were a few other people on the team that uh, were, were getting ham radio licenses. And uh, I thought, well, you know, I, we use these commercial radios, analog VHF and UHF radios on the team. And I'd really love to learn more about how they work. So yeah, I'll, I'll study up up and, and get that technician license. So, so that's what originally got me started. I had that technician license for about four or five years and then upgraded from there. Uh, but yeah, the, the team got me started in ham radio. The The team uh, here in San Diego, we're an auxiliary unit to the, the San Diego Sheriff's Department. They have a search and rescue team as well. And our team is, uh, well, generally more highly qualified uh, as, as ground searchers. We're, we're classified as... Type one Alpine and mountain rescuers, which means we can basically go into any altitude, any weather, anytime. We don't really have any limitations on on where we can go or what we can do from a, wow. a ground search and rescue perspective. And we we uh, in county here, most of our searches are are you know within San Diego County. And for the most part, our searches end up being searches rather than rescues. We get very few rescues in San Diego County because, well, San Diego, it's always 75 degrees and sunny. And and uh, if someone's injured, they just go pluck, pluck them off with a helicopter. So oh, okay. <laughs> we get <laughs> very few rescues, mostly looking for people that are missing or lost. And. Those searches uh, really vary and, and range from urban searches for, uh, say, a, an Alzheimer's patient that uh, walked away from their home. And, uh, you know, they're, they're people that are just not fully in their right mind and will wander off even into, you know, heavy brush sometimes and, and be incredible, and incredibly difficult to find. So we get those kinds of searches. We help out with evidence searches when a crime has happened somewhere uh, relatively recently. We helped uh, find a, a, a gun that was used in a crime here in San Diego County, and we get searches for you know missing hikers and and uh, people like that. Just your your average uh, recreational users that that get lost and and don't come back, and then very occasionally we get an actual uh, rescue and and those are those are a lot of fun
0: yeah that sounds very similar to the arrangement up here after i talked with kevin w6 rip i actually googled the uh, sar groups in this area and i guess the one that's close to me is the sac county search and rescue it's uh, associated with the sheriff's office so i imagine it's it's a very similar setup where they're helping with, I, I never really thought of that, helping with crime investigations and, and searching for individuals in an urban setting as well.
1: Yeah, and it's, you know, it's really, really interesting. Um, we, uh, to, to give you a, a couple of examples of searches that I've been on, my first ever search was an urban search. It was uh, a midair collision of two small airplanes over uh, a San Diego neighborhood. Oh wow! And the um, yeah, uh, unfortunately, the there was a pilot and instructor in one aircraft, and just a pilot uh, alone in the other, and it it killed them all instantly. Um, mm. It was a very you know violent collision, but. They sent us uh, out there to to basically go you know elbow to elbow through uh, neighborhoods there looking for any piece of aircraft or even human remains that were uh, you know bigger than say a dime or a quarter. and anything we would find, we would report it to a, a, a law enforcement officer there that would would document it for. Uh, national transportation safety board to come in and and do their investigation. So that was pretty wild. Ooh, wow. um, I had a another example of a search on Palomar Mountain, one of the 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 bigger mountains in San Diego over 6000 feet and there were there was a group of mountain bikers that had gone mountain biking up there and didn't return home. So uh, one of their loved ones called uh, the sheriff's department. They sent a helicopter out and the helicopter found them. They had gotten a fire going and they uh, were, were staying warm at night, um, but the helicopter couldn't pluck them out of there. So they sent us in on foot to, to go help them find a way out. And uh we uh <laughs> we we that was a funny one. We got dropped off by a, a motorized transport on a dirt road up there and they said uh yeah just go down the road for half a mile. Uh the helicopters landed on the road there, you can't miss them. And uh about eight miles of hiking and probably <laughs> three or four hours later, we we finally got to where the helicopter was a few hours before uh <laughs> and then made our way down to the 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 individuals that were lost and and helped. Uh, oh, it's just around the corner over there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> eight miles later. <laughs> so that was a good lesson. So we, uh, I, I'm
0: sorry I, I I missed it, but how long have you been in search and rescue?
1: Fifteen years. 15 I, I joined years. in 2005. You you yeah. kind of have
0: the reverse
1: path that
0: that Kevin had because he's heavy into ham radio and then discovered SAR, and you started and out there and. You know, getting all the training and then got into ham radio as a result of it.
1: Right. Yeah. And um, I, you know, I I joined the team with a bunch of uh, backcountry experience, uh, rock climbing and backpacking, and then uh, I, I learned the ham radio aspect. So, what one suggestion I would make for for anyone listening that might be interested is to look up your local team. Every team is different. You you don't necessarily have to be Uh, a backpacker or a mountaineer to be part of and and support your local search and rescue team. Many of them are organized into units that have specialties, and one of those units is often a communications unit. So if you're a skilled ham radio operator and you'd like to to help support one of your local emergency response teams, by all means, look up your, your local sheriff's department and see uh, what opportunities there are for you in a local search and rescue team.
0: Yeah, really good tip. And I'm really glad you're out there. You definitely show your experience in in just even your ham radio videos. I'm very impressed with all the different trips you take. I keep talking about that one where you, it's called the 14er, Mm -hmm. where you, you just seem like it's a regular hike in the woods. It didn't seem like <laughs> <laughs> it even phased you. And I, I'm just thinking of that kind of elevation. We we share a common peak. I, I wasn't doing soda at the time, but we, we've talked about Mount Dana out in Yosemite. Yeah. And I actually got altitude sickness just crossing the 10,000 mark, 10,000 foot elevation mark. And I imagine for you that was nice, pleasant peak <laughs> to climb.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, uh, that, that was actually my mountain goat summit, believe it or not. Uh, oh,
0: okay. Cool. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But, I, uh, I actually
0: have that, uh, elevation as a tattoo, that elevation number, <laughs> because it awesome. was such a significant uh, mountain for me. I was in a beginner mountaineering course and actually struggled all the way up. And, uh, we actually had to split because the storm was coming in and the, the group decided, okay, with the we had two guides and one of the, the guides decided we need to get everyone off this mountain as quick as quickly as we, we can because of the threat of lightning. So I was pretty much had a rope tied around me and I was with one guide and the other guide took the rest of the group down. And I just kind of stumbled my way down with this splitting headache and extreme exhaustion from the altitude sickness.
1: Yeah, that's rough. I I am fortunate in that I'm I'm relatively resistant to altitude sickness and uh actually when <laughs> the when I did Mount Dana, I uh I had been at altitude for probably 4 or 5 days leading up to that. So I was very well acclimatized by then. Yeah. But
0: Yeah, so I think of some of the peaks you've done and then I watch your videos and and you're just all smiles. Like Nothing's even happening <laughs> well it is Very it impressive. is my happy place, <laughs> yeah, well, thanks for those stories. Uh, what do you have coming up? Any exciting plans?
1: Oh, let's see. Um, I have a goal uh, for next year. I'm not going to have the the chance to try to achieve it this year i'm I'm too much out of shape and uh it's it's just not gonna work out oh, if with you uh, out of shape, little uh, oh boy. Me, he, it, hey, it's all relative. <laughs> <laughs> my my goal is to go up to the White Mountains, uh up, you know, across the Owens Valley from the eastern Sierra, and I've plotted out ten summits that I think might be possible to do in a 24-hour UTC day. Oh wow. So my goal is to activate. 100 points 10 summits uh in you know between uh zero Zulu and zero Zulu <laughs> so we'll, mm. we'll we'll see if that's possible but that's uh that's my challenge for myself next year so how, do,
0: how does that play out that's uh 5 a.m to 5 a.m pdt
1: uh uh pm I think it is pm um, yes yeah. yeah so so here's my plan I I, I, I intend to start on White Mountain. That's the longest hike of the bunch. And it's a it's a 14,000 foot peak, but there's a dirt road that goes to the summit. And uh, I now own a mountain bike. So I need to, to build my skills on the mountain bike. But uh, it's about, I think that one's about eight miles each way. So 16 miles round trip. And my plan is to go up to the summit in the morning and just relax and nap and hang out on the summit until... Uh, the UTC rollover and make my four contacts and get the heck out of there. Uh, Ride the mountain bike down the dirt road back to the car Mm, and move on to the next summit. Um, I will likely target the longer hikes at night because I think uh, I would prefer to spend less time trying to make contacts in the wee hours of the morning when it's going to be more difficult to get people on the air. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, ultimately it should be, you know, after the first peak, um, it'll be about, you know, eight miles of mountain bike down. And then, uh, for the next nine peaks, a total of 16 miles of hiking with I think about eight or 9,000 feet of gain and loss. So it's, uh, it's, (laughs) yeah, it'll be an adventure
0: do you do trail running?
1: Uh, yes, I do. Um, I've done a few, uh, 50 kilometer trail ultra marathons, uh, nothing longer than that, but, uh, but I have done some, some, uh, some trail races. I'm not fast, but, uh, but I, I can get them done.
0: Yeah. Mountain biking sounds like a good option if you want to do that many
1: peaks. Yeah, it'll certainly help. Um, Unfortunately, most of the peaks uh, other than that first one are, uh, there's no trails and and you pretty much just have to hike.
0: Yeah. All right. Any advice for people who want to do what you do or anything else you want to mention?
1: Uh, Let's see. Well, I would say a couple of things, you know, don't, don't let your fears stop you view them as, as challenges for you. Like, like I mentioned, you know, I, I started out as a, a mechanical engineer. I'm, I'm still a mechanical engineer. And this, this whole electronics and RF stuff is, is really a challenge for me. It doesn't necessarily come easy, but if you put some effort into it and uh, figure it out, you can combine that with the things that you really are good at in my case kind of the mechanical design side of things and and create some really cool things have some really fun adventures the the other piece that i would say that goes with this and we kind of mentioned it earlier is that it's okay to fail you're you're going to try to build antennas you're gonna have ones that absolutely don't work and in many cases you won't even know why but after the Fifth or sixth time of of messing it up miserably, something will will some little clue will help you learn something new, and the seventh time it'll work. So don't be afraid of those failures. Uh, Don't get too frustrated by them, and use them to learn and grow.
0: Great words. I think uh, there's also a huge uh, feeling of satisfaction. In taking your own gear up and using it, or deploying it in the field, you know, my my area is batteries. I, I haven't really made any antennas yet, but yeah, I, I just feel so like yeah, I made this and it serves a purpose that I was imagining, and I, yeah, I just get a lot of satisfaction yeah. from that
1: yeah it's really awesome and, and you know before i i did ham radio stuff i i uh I, i've been a fisherman all my life and I, i've built fishing rods and tide flies and and it's it's really the same kind of thing the same the same feeling and the, the same uh awesome reward when you build a radio or an antenna yeah. and and it works yeah
0: well i'm really glad you're sharing your knowledge on your videos i will definitely link your YouTube channel and some of the videos that we've discussed, especially the the random wire one. That's one of my favorites. And uh, thank you very much for, for spending time here.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me and thanks for what you do with this podcast. I I really enjoy it and I I look forward to what's what's coming.
0: Yep. That's why uh, just as a side note, I add a little TM to things. We have a running joke in JerryNet that we we invent things. <laughs> this is true. We do. So uh, we don't necessarily invent things because we do acknowledge that a lot of these things have been made before, but at the same time, we like saying we invented them.
1: <laughs> the secret to creativity is hiding your sources. Yes, exactly.
0: All right, Adam, thank you very much, and it's been a real pleasure talking with you, and can't wait till your next videos.
1: All right. Thank you, Dennis.
0: Once again, you've been listening to Handum Thoughts by 8060M. Thanks for listening. We will catch you again next time. record you? Huh? Okay. Why are you so mad? Hmm? You don't like me petting you?